today is a great day. It's not only Friday, I got a great guest today. Welcome to the Energy News Beat Podcast. My name's Stu Tully, President and CEO of the Sandstone Group. I got a fantastic guest. I got the president of Verde, uh, a little bit of CO2 and carbon capture we're going to get to talk about. John is the president over there. Welcome, John, and thank you for stopping by the podcast. Stu, good morning, sir. It's a real pleasure to be with you today. Got an exciting topic to dive into. We're going to cover a lot of breadth. And uh, there's been a lot of legislation that we need to dive into, a lot of activity, a couple of recent deals getting announced. So it's uh, indeed an exciting day. Uh, you know, John, I, I just love asking questions and, lo- and love learning about everything. Before the show, you and I were just kind of chit-chatting about the importance of getting, uh, everybody knows that they listen, I love getting the lowest cost kilowatt per hour to all people of the planet and also having the least amount of impact on the environment. That's exactly where Verde starts fitting into this process. So we're going to have a great conversation on this. Tell us a little bit about, uh, you were in the oil and gas space for a bazillion years. Yeah, I spent a couple of decades in the oil and gas industry before this. And I will tell you that it was very formative and really essential, those skills and experiences in the oil and gas world transferring into the CCS. Um, It's required. We do a lot of well drilling, subsurface characterization, a lot of regulatory permits. Instead of producing oil and gas out of the ground, we're now putting fluids into the ground. Uh, A lot of very detailed technical simulation work. So there's a lot of transferable skills, a lot of new app app um, kind of applications as well. To touch on that last point you made, we believe this energy transition is going to be a long, multi-decade transition. And at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is provide secure energy sources to everyone in the world at the lowest carbon index possible. And if you want to perform complete CCS on a coal-fired power plant, that's fine. If you want to install renewable electricity via uh, solar and wind, that's great as well. We think it's going to take everything to solve this global problem. You know, I just love what you said. It's going to take everything to to solve this problem. And the world's actually increasing coal. I mean, it is bizarre. Uh, So, Will, you're uh, let's back up just a hair and talk about Verde and your projects. Do you actually take cradle to grave? Do you project manage? Do you design and then hand off? Tell us about Verde. Verde CO2 is a full stop turnkey cradle to grave CCS development company. The simplest, most desirable format for our business construct. We'll partner with a industrial emitter and we'll say we'll take it from here. Design and install all carbon capture equipment, CO2 transportation lines, permanent CO2 sequestration elements, funding of the capital sources themselves, capital structuring, et cetera, management of the 45Q credits, both direct pay and tax equity elements. All right. I'm going to just pick on you here for a sec. I noticed your eyes light up as soon as I ask you about your company. Your physical, you just changed a little bit. Bam, you turned into this animal of passion that loves your company. I don't know if you realize that or not, but you dropped into it and you love what you're doing. It's an exciting time. Yeah, we really love what we're doing. I believe that CCS is one of the most material and most tangible decarbonization efforts out there. We're supportive of utilization projects, 
you know, we've been doing the, the world's been doing renewable energy for a while. That's great. We need to keep doing that. We've already hit a lot of the hot spots, the windy spots, the sunny spots. Um, so we think that the next major uplift in the broad decarbonization happens in CCS. Uh, now, uh, the legislation for uh, they also just had a lease sale, if I remember correctly, in the Gulf yep. that actually had a lot of good potential for uh, CC, uh, CC uh, storage. Yeah, Urban so storage. what you're referring to is the Texas GLO, the Texas General Land Office, just right. uh, just finished a offshore lease sale. There were a half dozen blocks off the coast of Texas in state waters, so within three miles of the coast that are open and available for CCS bidding. And um, we think that it is going to be very helpful and beneficial. Offshore CCS takes quite a while to develop. Verde CO2 is, is more focused on faster projects, and we stick to onshore exclusively. Oh, okay. Um, now, on onshore, uh, how do you get this? Let's say you got a coal plant, because uh, I love learning how this goes. And uh, I've interviewed some really cool people on the grid and everything else. Uh, but when you sit back and go, I got a coal plant and you want to use low cost power, how do you capture that coal and then get it to storage? Yeah. So what, basically what we'll do is take that flue gas after combusting coal. You've got a flue gas, which has a bunch of different components. CO2 right. content is about 15%. And so we'll put on some very sophisticated amine-based carbon capture equipment and nice. capture out, strip out that CO2. We then take that CO2, compress it, and you compress it enough such that the CO2 actually becomes more of a liquid phase. They call it supercritical. And then you can put it in a put it in a pipe and take it anywhere you need to. Now we like to be as close as possible, the sequestration side, as close as possible to the emission source for economics, shorter the pipe, shorter the cost, shorter the other hurdles. Okay. Let's say we got one of them big old ugly, uh, as we say in Texas, big old ugly, you know, coal plants. How clean does your solutions and what you design get the emissions on that? In the end of the day, it helps more than just the emissions. So we take out the CO2. There, we were also stripping out uh, nitrogen oxide and sulfur oxide. So NOx and SOx. We also remove particulates. Um, the, the amine is the really magic fluid of this carbon capture equipment. It will strip out little bits of this coal particulates. So it's cleaning up the emission stack in a handful of different ways. Oh, Very cool. Beautiful. Now, so if we take that, how does that, is it the same process for a natural gas plant? The, the plant? short answer is yes, there are some tweaks. So natural gas, post-combustion flue gas has a CO2 concentration of four to eight percent. So much lower than coal, um, but it's a slightly cleaner emission. So there's some offset benefits that come with that. So that oh. by and large, um, it's a similar operation. Now, as I say that, I've just described the amine-based carbon capture. There are a whole host of new technologies that are evolving right now, okay. emerging from experimental and being tested into the commercial phase uh, that we think are going to really significantly reduce carbon capture capex over the next six, eight years. Nice. So as Verde CO2, uh, as a business model, you've got the ability to offer the credit. Uh, you know, you clean the scrubber, you clean the, the coal, you clean the natural gas, you then ship the CO2 off. So as a business model, you have project management fees that I'm assuming. Again, I don't know. So yes. You, 
through the project management money operating division coming in. You have the bids, you have all this, then you have the transport where you can make money. In the oil and gas space, that would be the midstream. And then you have the uh, development area for actually managing the storage or use. Did I get all those different components right? That is correct. And the only revenue generator is the carbon capture entity. Because per the Treasury guidelines, the 45Q credits, direct pay or 45Q, is retained by the carbon capture entity. So that's who will be receiving the credits from the U.S. Treasury and the voluntary offset credits. So that is the revenue generator. Now, if Verde CO2 owns the capture transport sequestration, it is a one holistic project go. And so that's how it makes money. There can be a scenario where we're dealing with a company who wants to do their own carbon capture equipment and they will retain the 45Q. In that case, they're going to have to pay Verde CO2 a fee, transportation fee and a sequestration fee, put the CO2 in the ground. I'm sitting here thinking because my 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 head is sitting here thinking about folks that are making money because we use CO2 in actually trying to do enhancements into drilling and sure. it is used in other things. Sure. Um, but you can't sell that because of the regulations. Is that correct? Uh, let me think. So but if CO2 is permanently consumed inside of an operation, there is effectively it's a utilization and that is received at a certain dollar per ton at $65 per ton, excuse me, $60 per ton. At Verde, we don't do any utilization, uh, but basically you can take that CO2 and entrain it within, within some land, within some other applications. We focus exclusively on permanent CO2 sequestration, which receives $85 a ton. So there's a lot that, yeah, so you can see the economic benefits that are involved with permanent sequestration and you take it out of the system forever. You know, CO2 used for oil and gas operations, it's recycled, right. you put it in the ground, it comes back up, you use more energy to recycle it, et cetera. So we're focused exclusively on the permanent stuff. Okay, all this is making sense from a business perspective. And when you talk about the money coming in, we've had the uh, infrastructure bill, the porculus bill, I mean, the as Dan Bongino called them, uh, you had these all these other bills. And as they come in, uh, we've even had fry battery out of Norway that is now coming in and creating storage for electrical storage. And they're they're taking advantage. Everybody's running in from other countries to seek those funds. Is that your number one source of new business? Or how do you guys go get new business? Yeah, we get new business by partnering with any industrial CO2 emitter within. We, uh, we need to talk about regions in a moment. Effectively, okay. any industrial emitter in the United States, it could be an existing project, an existing right. gas-fired power plant, a chemical plant, an ethanol plant. It could be a greenfield project, a new facility that's going to be built. So we'll partner with one of them and design and advance the project in, in one full step from there. Um, okay, I'm sitting here kind of thinking also on the next thing, and that is um, carbon credits. Do you guys get into any of those kind of things? It would be back on the original power plant. Are they now eligible? Because one of the reasons, you know, my buddy Elon, I, I don't know him. He doesn't know me. He could care less. But, you know, I, I have a Twitter account. So that makes us buddies. 
But, you know, if you sit back and take a look, one of the reasons Tesla was so is because they're selling their credits, tax credits out there and their other stuff. Yep. Are you using anything like that or helping for those things? We are. Absolutely. So the, the Boy, I'm still in all of these. <laughs> yeah. The voluntary offset credits, which you're referring to, is a relatively new market. They've been traded for a number of years and they're going to be increasingly more desirable over the next yes. decade for a few reasons. So effectively to earn the voluntary credits, you need to have custody of the CO2, which is typically not a problem. If you own the power plant and own the flue gas, you've got custody. So we'll right. arrange, there's a custody transfer to Verde in, and then you need to effectively own the carbon capture equipment. And so with that in place, you now own the voluntary offset credits. So um, a, a small CCS project might put away a million tons a year. And the voluntary offset market right now is paying 8 to $10 a ton for those offset credits. And we think that's going to go up quite a bit in the future. Okay. So I went to Oklahoma State University. I'm going to try to do some math here. So you got $80 and you then you add that on top of it as a tax credit. So is it a tax credit that comes in that actually turns it up higher value than the $88? Did I yes. get that? Yeah. Yeah. It's 85 for permanent sequestration. And then if we elected to sell those voluntary offsets, it could create another five to 10 bucks a ton of voluntary offset revenue. The, it, it's, it's really nuanced. However, um, if right. we sell those credits, and right. there's not a lot of precedent on this topic, but by and large, we believe that if we Verde sell those credits, then the emitter themselves will not be able to sell bona fide decarbonized and licensed uh, products. So, and, and so many times the emitter wants to do just that. So I'll tell you this, in our economics, we never assume the revenue stream associated with voluntary offset credits. You know, I'm I'm sitting here, keep picking on you on your business model and you're flawless on your answers. I just absolutely love everything that you guys got going on for this because you are solving problems as a corporation. Yeah, it's an exciting time. And we've been helped quite a bit by the recent legislation that's passed over the past couple of years. Really all started with the bipartisan infrastructure law, the BIL. Uh, right. almost two years ago. And then um, that helped put good sideboards on the CCS right. industry. And then the Inflation Reduction Act last August was a was a paradigm shift for this sector. Right. As you, you we mentioned, in, um, boy, there's one thing that's just kicking energy in, in the backside. I had to watch my cussing. He said, this is a family show. You know, and you sit back and kind of look, you take a look at regulations. Uh, we have regulations now. We have, even though there's so much money available for wind, solar, or any of these things, it takes so much money and time to connect them to the grid and the regulations. And then in the oil and gas phase, you have regulations. Uh, what was that commercial out the wazoo? We have regulations out the wazoo, and that's slowing down energy. Yeah. How do you all handle that? Well, we've got regulations of our own to deal with. And for, for us, it is mainly around obtaining these class six permits to, okay. to, to a, per, a permanent CO2 sequestration well requires a class six permit to drill and inject. 
and there's only two active in America. And we've got applications out there uh, to obtain more, uh, but we've got to work with the EPA on that. And this is a relatively new process. And so there's not a real standard protocol for how to go about that. So um, we actually had a met, had a meeting with one of the state regulators just yesterday, talking oh, about sweet. one of our projects in Louisiana. So we spend a lot of time with them. And so working through, we are working through regulations of our own. And uh, I agree, I wish it was a little bit easier to move these projects right. along quickly. You know, the Carbon uh, Neutral Coalition for Texas, uh, those folks, they got some really nice folks. I've got, I've been fortunate enough to interview the chair and some other great leaders in there. I'm a, I mean, I don't know if you're working with them, yeah. but boy, there's a lot of great leaders in those kinds of, of organizations. Are you getting to work with those folks? We do. Yeah, we spend a lot of time. They've got a lot of horsepower. And uh, one of the one of the biggest elements in, in Texas, for example, is um, a couple items. Number one, clarification of land ownership around CCS poor space. Uh, right. number, one, number two is gaining primacy. The state of Texas would like to gain what is called primary authority. So Texas could grant these class six permits. Right mm. now, it has to be granted by the federal government. It's the EPA specifically the underground injection control division, right. specifically for Texas, it's region six. So Texas and Louisiana are trying to obtain primacy so they can control that and hopefully expedite these permits. That's sweet. That's huge, John. Be great. Holy smokes. Right uh, now, there's only two states in America that have primacy. That's Wyoming and North Dakota. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yep. The federal government controls all class six permits aside from that. Yeah. Uh, I've done a lot of work with uh, uh, helping uh, folks with their regulations and things like that. We were able to help PDC a couple of years ago with the oil and gas regulations in Colorado. And we sure. built a system that we were able to get all the data. They couldn't even get the data uh, that was required for them. And so having data folks work on that and get that solution done. With the regulations that are coming in, okay, we got Texas. Texas is cool. Love being a, a Texican. How do the the Northeast and the East Coast and West Coast just get a hammer on and hit me in the foot before I live there? They don't. I mean, they got the Marcellus up there mm -hmm. in order to do that. They won't even do a pipeline. Yeah. How are you guys going to have anything to do with projects up there? They even import their natural gas from LNG. From Russia, Trinidad, you know, they import diesel from Russia because it stops off, gets refined, and then comes back into the U.S. It's a mess. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the Northeast, I'm not going to lie to you, is a tricky, tricky place to, okay. to perform CCS, mainly because of the basically geologic deposition. The storage capacity is pretty low. It's, it, it's not ideal. Um, what's really fantastic is the Texas and Louisiana Gulf Coast and a number of other spots in the country. But that's where Verde is really focused on the past couple of years in the Gulf Coast of Texas, Louisiana. You know, each region of America and each region of the world is going to require a different application to, to, to do its ideal decarbonization. And in the Gulf Coast, we've got a lot of great storage capacity. 
in the U.S. Plains. We've got a lot of great wind. Out west, we've got sunshine. The northeast, they're going to have to find their thing. Maybe it's hydrogen, maybe it's other things. But I think CCS will find a way to, to, to play a role up there. Wow. Yeah, something like the Colonial Pipeline uh, delivering uh, stuff, because the Jones Act is a disaster and needs to go away. You can't transport it because they have to be American ships was this a 19, uh, 1920 law yeah. or something? Yeah. It just needs to go away. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, um, I believe with this recent debt deal, there's one more pipeline that, that's going to get pushed through, which is the Mountain Valley Pipeline. It yes. was a little earmarked uh, uh, element that, um, so I, I haven't read the final docs. It's hopefully the um, the new budget is sitting on the desk of President Biden right now, and hopefully that gets signed soon. But that could break free one more pipeline to the Northeast. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Uh, you know, I I know this has nothing to do with carbon capture, but boy, the Keystone Pipeline was a disaster because we could have used those. And and since you you talk oil, uh, the heavy oil coming out of the the Canadian sands, we could get away from bringing in importing the heavy oil from Venezuela. Russia, you know, uh, any of those. So uh, yeah. having pipelines matters. It matters. It really does matter. And uh, yeah, we sure could have used the Keystone Pipeline over the past few years and we could could use it going forward. Um, you know, on the, on the CO2 transportation pipeline front, you know, there's, right. there, there are 5,000 miles of CO2 pipeline in America right now. Wow. And we believe that any new carbon capture project is going to need new CO2 transportation pipeline. Right. There are some folks that are advocating retrofitting older pipelines that may have used gas or oil in the past. Um, right. We think it's a little dangerous, but we'll see how that goes. So we're installing all new pipelines. We dream of a day when there is a broad, uniform CO2 transport pipeline that interconnects the major industrial regions of America, of the Gulf Coast, so that I can, carb I can capture carbon in Houston and deposit right. it in rural Texas. I can capture carbon in Baton Rouge and put it into rural locations of Louisiana and have some interchangeability here to really help spearhead the launch of some of these broader projects and, and hubs as we define them. Okay, I'm probably going to uh, ask you a dumb one here, which is typical for an OSU kind of guy. But uh, when you talk about storage, and it's, I'm assuming you're talking salt domes and you're talking about putting them in there in the geological formations, or, and, and if you take a look at that, and that's why you, I think that uh, uh, Louisiana and all the others are better down in this area because of the formations, correct? So when it comes to permanent CO2 sequestration, what we're looking for is right. good storage capacity, big, thick sandstone reservoirs. We're trying to avoid wells. We, want, we need enough, basically, logs and geologic data to assess the reservoir, but we want to avoid those old wells. We uh, want to avoid salt domes. We okay. want to avoid major faults. So we're looking for big, flat, steady, uniform sandstone deposition with a very nice. gentle dip. And yeah. so in a funny way, we're looking for the exact opposites of what we looked for in the oil and gas world. The oil and gas I did world, not know that. Yeah, in the oil and gas world, we're developing salt domes. We're looking for traps. 
we're drilling wells, we're drilling adjacent to old wells in the in the CCS world, we're doing just the opposite. You know, uh, so just thinking from oil and gas into the uh, carbon world, Armand, the CEO of Combo Curve, super mm-hmm. neat guy. Uh, are you using that kind of a tool? Because uh, you're going to look at the uh, well offsets and looking at the formations, there's already a ton of data. Is that the kind of data you're using out there? Well, I, I do know Combo, Combo Curve well and use them a lot in the oil and gas days. For CO2 sequestration, it's a little different. So okay. the, that that particular data you're referring to is oil and gas production information. Right. What we're doing is taking this rock information and assessing how the CO2 is going to move in, its injectability, right. how the CO2 plume is going to radiate out through space. Right. And in addition to the CO2 plume, there's a pressure wave that's created that radiates out even further at times. So that's right. the, that's the data that we are trying to model. Wow. Okay. This really, is cool. Yeah, it takes some really sophisticated. We for every site we create a full geocellular model with multi-millions of cells to describe every reservoir, every fault, every injection zone. We run injection simulation on all of them. We show that it's a big element of this class experiment. We show that data to the EPA. We give them the model. We let them play around with it. Wow. Now, Inveris, love all the folks over at Inveris, and they're big in the oil and gas bay and the energy and all the processes and everything else. Just love everything that they have going on. Uh, I got to interview Alan Gilmer, the the guy that created it a long time ago. He's He is absolutely a hoot. But I'm not sure you wouldn't use Inveris, because, but their power across the world, they would almost be yeah. a great lead generation for you. Because they work with all the power organizations and everything else. Um, yeah, not sure. we, we know them well. We like them a lot. Uh, and yeah. we stay close on all of their applications. They're developing some really neat applications uh, that we'll be using as time goes along. Oh, how cool. So that's an yeah. NDA that you might have let out of the bag. That's right. <laughs> Nobody, you know, nobody will listen to it. You know, nobody but you heard it here second is what somebody right. else. That's right. So anyway, I am so excited to get to meet you and and everything else. Uh, do you what do you see coming around the corner quickly? We've got about five more minutes and I want to give you a second. How do people get a hold of you and how do people get a hold of Verde? And what do you see coming around the corner? Yeah, kind of like yeah, here's what I say. To get a hold of me, uh, please look us up on LinkedIn and find us on the Verde CO2 website. Uh, you're, it's easy to find. And uh, that's how you get a hold of me. What I okay. see coming around the corner, I think we're on the brink of a step change in CCS activity in terms of the number of projects. You've seen a couple deals announced. For every deal that gets announced, there's 10 more percolating in the background. Folks like okay. us, we don't need to announce deals. Um, so a lot of the recent legislation has paved the way for basically CCS projects to really launch the IRA, the EPA. There's one thing I want to touch upon last month, the EPA set forth proposed regulations on the power sector and basically requiring all power companies, power generation stations of a certain size in a certain, in certain regions to decarbonize in the very near future. And if this passes through, effectively, they're all going to need to either convert to renewables or they're going to need to install CCS. And so it's going to be an exciting step change. I think it's going to be very good 
for the sector. And uh, so we'll see how that goes. It's going to get litigated, no doubt about it. Um, but um, I think there's a lot of really neat projects. I can speak for Verde's and others we know about that are advancing right now. And remember, it, it could take a year or two to get these class six permits. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So there's going to be there's going to come a time whenever Verde and others like us say, we've got the permit, we're building, we're constructing, here's our project. And when that happens, it's going to be very large material volumes uh, that we're decarbonizing. So it's great for everyone. Well, this is cool for the environment. And if you take a look, I, I don't I don't like tax credits. I mean, I don't like uh, subsidies, but this makes sense. And I, I I hope I don't get this, you know, I don't want to use this in one of our shorts, you know, that we put out there. Stu says that this makes sense finally on this, but it does. I mean, if it gets the money and it gets clean energy out there, because I don't know, I, I've been doing a lot of research on wind and solar. The wind farms I'm seeing meantime between failure is eight years. Mm. And when you start taking a look at those things failing and how much money we're putting in, the break even for those things for CO2 is 10 years. And and the financial difference makes more sense for carbon capture to go on yeah. coal and natural gas to me. We're, we're with you. Look, um, as an American taxpayer, I'm inherently opposed to a lot of to these kind of tax credits. However, we view 45Q as the primer. It's the catalyst to move the sector. We believe, and I expect there will be a time whenever, um, so a decarbonized um, electron will sell for much more than a non-decarbonized electron. When a decarbonized ammonia sells for more than a right. gray or dirty ammonia. And so that becomes the replacement revenue in time. Because remember 45Q, when a project launches and goes into operations is active for 12 years and right. 45 credits are available for 12 years. And then you're in the free market thereafter. Okay. I know we're going running over a hair of time here, but this is important because one of the biggest things to change the energy space is education. This is important from an aspect that if we can change natural gas, because the EIA uh, uh, last year said the biggest reason that we have reduced our carbon uh, footprint in the United States was due to closing down coal and going to natural gas. From an education perspective, what is Verde CO2 doing? Because this education process, I could see you guys taking this to the next level and showing people that fossil fuels can be around as a bridge longer if it's this stuff is used. Absolutely. In the end of the day, we're here to sustain the life of these heavy industries that are essential right. for America. We, we're going to need uh, power, ammonia, cement, right. steel uh, for decades to come and only more and more of it. But we can decarbonize that in the process. And uh, in the end of the day, put out a net zero um, industrial product and allow those jobs to continue, allow those tax dollars to continue to thrive for states and communities. One last question. I know I'm sorry because I keep getting you can tell I get excited about what we're talking about, but also refineries downstream. Can you work with downstream on some of this stuff? Because the last. Okay, cool. Because the last big refinery was 1977. And then we've only had updates since then. But new technology would mean downstream would be less 
bad, but we can't get anything permitted except small one. I mean, so my head explodes every time I think about downstream. Yeah, we can definitely decarbonize refineries. The There's a couple tricks. They're big, okay. very expensive, and they're owned by just a handful of companies. And right. so, and those companies tend to like to control everything. So, uh, and, and uh, you know, there's one thing I got to just say, there's at the moment, there's no penalty for emitting any amount of CO2 volumes in the ground. So hmm. a lot of big companies aren't worried about it, especially when times are good, like they are for a lot of companies right now. So we're, but we think a proactive stance will be, will pay many dividends in the decades to come by starting on these projects now. Wow. How cool is all this? Well, John, thank you so much for stopping by the podcast. Uh, I'm I'm just really thrilled to get to meet you and uh, look forward to connecting with you and uh, love to be a resource for you guys to get stuff out because your message is important. Thanks so much, Stu. Well, the pleasure was mine and I'd love to come back soon. 